toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love you are listening to be the love to awaken our souls we are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings We are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. This episode is sponsored by Tom Palladino with Scalar Light. Sign up and receive your 30-day free Scalar Light healing at scalarlight.com. Listen to our interviews with Tom and the amazing benefits and healing potential in episode number 73 and 78. I personally have been receiving the Scalar Energy daily and have really noticed the benefits and shifts in energy, including chakra balancing, energy clearing, and nutrient support. It's also a gift that I've been able to provide for my family. And I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Dawn Hammer. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey. And thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you have enjoyed listening to our show, we would be so grateful for a five-star written review on iTunes. Reviews help the show become more visible and spread the word to others. Please check out our Facebook community and get connected with other like-minded souls. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to begin by inviting you to get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy, and breathing out anything you are ready to release in this moment. And take one more breath into your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself and breathe out that light and love and sending it back to all of humanity. And remember, you always, always have your breath to come back to. Our guest today is author Dawn K. Hammer. She has had a lifelong love affair with self-discovery, a high school dropout at the age of 17 recovered drug addict at the age of 18, and now a university graduate at the age of 44. She is endlessly curious about the inner workings of the human mind and fiercely devoted to untangling the thoughts, ideas, and ideologies that keep us stuck. The Good Human, her first published book, is an offering to help us remember the good, holy, and beautiful house within every human being. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Dawn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. 
us as well. Let's get started. Can you tell us a bit about your journey and what led you on the spiritual path? Yeah, it's funny. Um, when you mentioned that question earlier, I started thinking, gosh, when did I start the spiritual journey? And it's been a long one in the making. Um, what came up for me was remembering, I think I was like five or six and like running up to my mom in the kitchen and being like, do you think that like the eyes that are looking out are actually you or is it something else? And she was just like, go back to your room. <laughs> I don't even know how to begin answering that question. Um, so I think I've sort of been in existential crisis for a really long time and I didn't realize what it was I was seeking until I got much older and could put words to a lot of the stuff I was feeling. So I, I've been on that like quote unquote spiritual journey for a very long time, just trying to figure out why am I here? What is the purpose of all of this? Isn't there more there? Please tell me there's more than just some of this, you know, at the time I wouldn't have used the word inane, but sort of the inaneness, the banality, the monotony of, of just surface level things that were happening in the world. But I didn't have the language I didn't know. And I didn't have anyone around me to have those conversations with. So it's only been very recently, probably from about, mm, mid-teens on that I started really diving into ideas of spirituality and, and reading books and trying to find people who had some answers maybe to some of the questions that I've been asking for a really long time. And it's very recently in the last, I would say, decade that I've really allowed myself to um, embody those answers and live from that place. There was a good, you know, 20-year chunk, I would say, of intellectualizing some of the things and concepts I was learning, but not embodying those practices and not living from that place. That takes a lot of uh, bravery and honesty and um, willingness to turn inward. And I was not, not ready to do it yet. So in a long-winded answer, <laughs> that's yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing your, a little bit about your story. And, and just to you know, go back to that, you know, that time when you were in the kitchen, when you're five or six, and, you know, it sounds like you were shut down, and not really honored for what you were expressing in that moment. And I'm wondering how that impacted you um, on your spiritual journey. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Once we start diving back into the stuff that actually happened when we were really young, and we had no clue how it was impacting us. Um, I definitely can say that not just that moment, but so many other moments like that, um, even trying to have these kind of conversations as a teenager with some friends um, and just the looks of like, you're crazy. Like, why would we even have these conversations? Like, what are you even talking? Like, just literally there was no um, meeting in the middle. There was no like common ground, you know, to come from. And eventually I just learned to stifle those questions. I just learned to keep them into myself thinking, I guess I am crazy. <laughs> you know, no one else is thinking about these things. Of course, there were plenty of people thinking about these things. I just wasn't surrounded by them yet. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, that's such a good question because even as I've done a lot of this like healing work, I'm realizing, wow, that moment in the kitchen, how did that impact so many other aspects of my life. And I can think of times where I've just um, stifled my own voice or not said anything or just 
maybe what I'm feeling isn't right. It's not correct. So I'll just won't feel that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of had a big impact on things. Yeah. And I'm noticing that there's so many listeners, you know, that, you know, could probably relate to your story because so many people were, you know, shut down or stifled for their voice that they didn't have a voice. And so they pushed that down and now they're coming into, you know, the realization and more insights, you know, and, and, but needing maybe some more validation around that. And so what was that process like for you to kind of reach that point of validation and creating that embodiment for yourself? Yeah. Um, such a good question. I mean, I think it's a continuing process. I'm still learning to validate myself and embody the things that I, um, practices that I believe in and that bring me to wholeness. What came to mind as you asked that though, is sort of the polar opposite of that experience in the kitchen. Um, when I re-met my father at the age of, I think I was 17, we went on a road trip together down the California coast. Um, and I remember there was one night, I think we were maybe in Santa Monica and we were walking on the beach under the stars. It was late at night. There was no one around. And it was just one of those nights where it was like crystal clear. There's nothing in the sky. There's no moon. So all the stars are just like up above. And I remember looking up and I like threw my arms wide and I was like, I just want to know what all this is about. And exact opposite of what happened in the kitchen, he was like, yeah, me too. It's such a beautiful world. And I, I can help guide you in that. Like I've been on this path for a very long time. And so it was the first time I said something like that to someone and had them not look at me like I was crazy and not only not turn away from me, but be like, yes, me too. Like, come with me. I can, I can show you this path. So that was the first time I'd ever felt like, oh, okay, maybe there's a tribe out there. Maybe there's other people. And that was the beginning of that validation process of like, I'm not crazy. These are, these are important questions to ask. These are things that are going to be what changed me. I can tell like, this is going to be the type of things that as I go seek these answers, it's going to be the thing that like sets my life on a totally different path from what it's been on right now. So that was definitely the first um, kind of embodied experience of feeling like, oh, there's someone that gets me. There's someone else who's on this path and who can help pave that way a little bit. And then from there, it's just, of course, all the different choice points that come up in our life that we like come up against the edge and we either go this way or we go this way. And each time I would go this way, it opens it up a little bit more and creates that validation so that you do have the bravery to like keep going down that path. Yes, I do feel like there is a, a path of bravery and courage for sure. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear about how your father was able to affirm some of the things that you are questioning and feeling, because so often I do think we feel so alone. I can definitely identify with that. As Stacy said earlier, a lot of our listeners, and I was going to say, actually myself, I, I mean, I too remember growing up thinking, am I the only one? Like, am I right. the only one? Like, did I not get the memo <laughs> on something that everyone else gets, but I don't get? So it's refreshing to hear that, you know, we, we are, you know, in this collective energy, we just don't always express it, or it's just not the right time yeah. to, to do so. Yep. 
So I'm curious, is this kind of process how your your new book, The Good Human, is that how it came to be or fill us in a little bit more on that journey? Yeah, so The Good Human in particular actually came about, I would say, as sort of a culmination of this journey, but the specific kind of world events that are occurring right now are really what birthed this book. I started toying with the idea of putting something into the world to offset um, just so much fear and hatred that I was feeling and seeing with the U.S. election in 2016. That was really hard for me. It was very challenging. I felt really heavy. I don't know a better way to describe it. I felt like there was the heaviness in the world and it just felt like so much progress that um, we had been making collectively was now being like jerked back in a really obvious and loud and destructive kind of way. And so I started taking to like Facebook and, and social media and just putting some different thoughts out there about what I saw, what was going on and kind of feeling inside and people really responded to it. And so that was kind of the beginning of I think there's something here. I think that the practices I've been embodying could really, I know how they healed me individually. And I know that they could work collectively on a much larger scale if we were all to embody this idea of self-ownership, of curiosity, of um, empathy towards others, of not othering other human beings, putting them as something outside of us, but as something that we are sharing. All of that had helped heal me so profoundly that I knew if I could somehow compile it into some, just some kind of an offering and put it out into the world and the right people could pick it up that we could like share in this kind of healing process because we're, we're watching it right now. We know um, Russia has invaded Ukraine. This is not isolated to the United States. This is a global phenomenon right now. There's a lot of energies and frequencies coming to a head, which needs to happen for change that we don't know right now, like which way the scale is gonna tip. And so I feel like those of us who are willing and brave enough to put all the love and the light in the world through some very specific embodied practices can help not just offset, but totally like shift that energetic um, kind of darkness that's starting to like really encapsulate things as far as like politics and society goes. So that's really how the good human came about was I wanted there to be a direct response to all the negativity I was seeing, all the fear and hatred I was feeling just being leashed upon the world. That's really beautiful. It sounds like it's been quite a process and in your own journey and what you've seen is helping and healing yourself has really catapulted you to share that gift um, with others. And it's, I think there's so much truth in you know, how our own pain becomes our purpose. And mm -hmm. all of that, it sounds like has really created you to be able to share that with others and really begin to affect change um, that we are seeing. Cause we have had a lot of, you know, change over the last four, six years now, you know, it's been very tumultuous. And for a lot of people, it's, you know, they're, they're getting stuck in that chaos of, you know, what's happening and with through the pandemic and, you know, and, 
but I think I love what you said about not othering others, you know, but recognizing that it's also a part of bringing others in, you know, as a part of ourselves, because there is no separation. We're all in this together and, you know, we're creating this, you know, out of chaos comes clarity. And so this chaos, I think, yeah, it does, does need to happen, but there is a lot of ego and fear and all of these things that are creating these global phenomenons right now to happen. And, you know, I, in my own personal belief, I believe there's a reason for all this too, you know, where we have to go through this to create change. And so wondering how can someone begin to do this work or recognize that the ego is coming in versus in the fear, you know, and really start to begin stepping into their own authentic nature to trust that this system is in this, you know, this chaos is happening for a reason. Yeah, I think for me, um, I can't speak to anyone else, but this seems to be fairly universal when I have these conversations with any of my friends who have been on, I guess I would say like a pathway of healing, spiritual healing for some time is like, we can't free anyone else until we ourselves are free, right? Like we, there's no way we can help anyone else to see what might be holding them back unless we ourselves are going through that process ourselves. And so when I feel wrapped up in that chaos or I start to get really angry (laughs) at how things are going in the world, then I start going, it shouldn't be this way right? Like it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this hard. It feels very correct to say that it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't be at war. And it is this way. This is what is. So whether I think it should be this way or not, it is this way. And that in and of itself can be a really powerful, like judo move in the mind of just, but it is this way. I don't have to like it. I don't have to accept it, but it is this way. And if I can just take a breath with that statement, it is this way. There is war. There is suffering. There is ego. There is fear. There is. This is what is. Okay. If that's what is, what can I do about that? For me, myself, in this moment, what can I do about that? I can't change Vladimir Putin's mind. (laughs) I can't stop the war in and of myself as Don Hammer, you know, sitting right here in Tacoma, Washington. I can, however, breathe, feel and recognize that I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling uncertain. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling chaotic. Maybe I've got butterflies in my stomach or I want to like smash my fist into a pillow or, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe I follow through on that to get some energy out. And then maybe I connect with someone like you all or my father or someone who can be like, can you sit with me in this? Because I'm really struggling with where things are. I don't like this. And we can go through that journey with someone who cannot, who can help us not stay in victim mode. And this is like something happening to me. No, it isn't. It's just happening. What's happening to me is my reaction to it. So I I can make that choice, but I I just like that first judo move of, but it is what it is. 
you know, we're in conflict as soon as we decide something shouldn't be the way that it is. That's where stress comes. That's where disconnect comes. That's where, you know, fragmentation comes. If we can't accept what it is, even if we don't like it, and it doesn't mean I won't stop being an activist or a voice against something like war, but it is what it is in this moment right now. If I can accept that, at least from that place, I can take a very clear step forward into something that makes me return to my own embodiment and my own empowerment of what is. I don't know if that feels like a sort of rambling answer, but I I just think that it starts with that willingness to be okay with the fact that it is what it is right now. I definitely hear you in that journey of embodying. You mentioned different embodying practices, breath work specifically like identifying the feelings, having someone to speak to, you know, that, that is like-minded. Tell us a little more about this, the foundation of breath and, and other embodying practices that you mentioned to just help us when we do come with that conflict between, well, this, this is what's happening and I don't have to agree, disagree with it, but how can we use those embodiment practices, specifically breath to help us kind of move forward and not stay stuck? Yeah. And I love that you use the word stuck because that's completely what I think breath does. It unsticks us from that, which wants to stick to us. So in my practice, which like I said, has been really on this journey, probably 20 plus years when I really started like studying different ways of quote unquote enlightenment, if that's the word you want to use, it's always come back to breath for me. And I first learned how to properly breathe, which sounds so funny to say, cause you're like, what do you mean you have to learn how to breathe? Like your body does it automatically. Thank God. Right. <laughs> like you don't have to think about it. It just does it. But most of us, until we learn how to do this properly are walking around like wounded animals. We breathe from the chest only. It doesn't really ever descend into the belly or arise from that place. It tends to be shallow. It tends to be short. And what taking a really good, what I call belly breath does, it completely resets our entire physiological system because we're not used to it because we don't think about it because we don't have to think about it. So becoming really conscious of where our breath is arising from and where it's descending into learning to consciously slow that and focus on it, it really allows everything that's been rigid to soften. And until we soften that inner wisdom that we all possess, it can't land. Like if we're only up here from like here up and I'm pointing to my chest and up above my head, we're just in the mind. We're in the intellectualizing zone. We're, we're thinking about things. We're reacting to things. We're just in our habitual responses and patterns. So when we take that deep breath and let it really rise up from the belly and then descend fully back into it, that's like a whole other ball game. I mean, it's literally like enlivening your cells in a brand new way. The mind slows down, the thoughts start to dissipate, and they'll still be there. They never go away. We're human beings with a human mind. But the focus isn't there anymore. It's on the breath. You're really letting it do its work, its magic. I can feel it when I'm really, truly breathing deeply. I can feel it softening everything. So all of my attachments to my thoughts. Like if we want to go back to the chaos of feeling like in the war, the pandemic, all my thoughts about it, about how it shouldn't be this way. Well, when I take a deep breath, that softens 
And no longer am I rigidly clinging to this idea that it shouldn't be this way. I take a breath, it softens and it lands, but it is. And from that place is where I can then choose correct action or new thoughts or whatever is going to land is going to land, but it can't land until we've softened that soil. And so that to me is why breath is so foundational, because if we could take a breath, it gives us a moment to not react to someone who may be saying something hurtful to us. It can give us a moment to respond really thoughtfully to a question that's been asked of us. It can give us a moment to ask ourselves, I don't know, what is it that I really want in this moment? I haven't literally stopped to consider that. I'm just in, you know, go, go, go mode. Breath is the thing that allows us to return to ourselves and let our own inner wisdom land. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think it, the breath is one thing that we always can come back to. And when we openly and consciously connect with the breath, it does create that space to react or respond rather than react to our outside, you know, influences or our inner workings and to really take that step to just respond differently. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, right now, like we are living in this world of divisiveness, right? There's been a lot of divisiveness and a lot of, I think, people choosing like really extreme sides to different scenarios and situations. And there's been a lot of just people not understanding each other and not, you know, wanting to defend their own position as if we know. And and the truth is no one really knows, right? Like there's, we can say we know, but I feel like that's the ego, the fear. We, we have need something to grasp onto in this place of chaos. And so there's been a decrease and and maybe it's just coming to the forefront right now, but a lack of understanding of each other. And so I'm wondering, you know, during a time of such extremes, how can we truly cultivate that empathy and understanding for someone else and remembering those human connections that we all truly have aside from, you know, beyond these extreme circumstances and extreme sides. Oh, I love that question. And I just want to like point out a couple of things you said that I, I just love, which is the first one that I don't remember how you phrase it, but is that we can always come back to our, our breath. That is the one thing we have any control over. We can't control anything that happens outside of our body. So that breath is with us 24 seven. That is our gift. It's in our toolbox. Anytime we choose to remember it. Another reason why I love thinking of the breath as a foundation, because it comes with us wherever we go. We don't have to remember to bring it with us. It's just always there and it will work every single time for us. So I love that you pointed that out. And then the second thing you said that I really latched onto was this idea in this divisiveness that we're defending our beliefs, right? And even as I say that, like I'm clenching my fists, like if I'm defending something, my hands are up, I'm ready to throw hands, (laughs) like I'm ready to like defend. That's what ego does. That's all it does. It is there to tell us it's keeping us safe by defending against anything it thinks can threaten us. 
So anytime we're in defense mode, I mean, there's your first telltale sign that you are totally rocking ego right now. Like you are not in a place of softening at all. That's a great indication that, okay, I need to take a good deep breath. Because if I feel like I need to defend this idea, that's not coming from a place of love and authenticity. That's coming from ego. And ego is always fear-driven, always fear-driven. It's always looking for the thing it needs to protect us from. So I'm just, I love that you use the word defend because I feel to, to me, that's like one of the biggest signs that we can tell ourselves, oh, right, I'm operating from ego right now. I'm not coming from an authentic place. And then for me, and again, this is a, a lifelong journey and it is not easy to do. So anyone who is willing to do this, like I give you props because it takes a lot of bravery, but it's every time I find myself in projection of someone else, every time, even when it seems totally justified, I remember and I ask myself, when have I done that thing or some version of that thing? So like a really good example, I've been like totally obsessed with Queer Eye lately, the show where they, you know, make over people and um, five gay men come in and tell you how to spiff up your life and look differently. But they also are really helping people like work on their inner stuff. And it's all about self-love and self-acceptance. And it's a beautiful show. But on one episode, they were helping this young gal, Jess, who is a self-proclaimed Black lesbian queen. And her story is that when she came out to her adoptive parents at the age of 16, they promptly disowned her and kicked her out of the house at the age of 16 with no connections, just total rejection. And my knee-jerk reaction was, those are horrible parents. That is unacceptable. That is, I'm disgusted. I would never do that, right? So all of this judgment was coming from a place of very high moral authority. I would never do that to my child. How could anyone do that to their child? How could you claim that you are acting in God's love and then be so hateful? Logically, this seems like a pretty normal reaction. <laughs> like to me, it was like, well, yeah, that's really ugly. Why would you do that? That's not loving. When I did a lot of breath work and came back to this place of, okay, when have I ever done something to someone I claimed I loved that was actually very harmful? I mean, I was able to come up with like a dozen instances pretty quickly. I've been dishonest or I've lost my temper and said something only to be hurtful, right? Like I've done these things to people that I claim I love. And so I was able to get to a place of not judgment, but discernment, right? Which there's like a difference between those things. But first I had to get really honest with myself about my own ugliness, about the things I've done that have hurt my children and that's really hard to face. It's something ego doesn't want you to do. It doesn't want you to admit that maybe you're not perfect, that maybe you yourself have these traits that, you know, if they were caught on camera, we'd be ashamed of or something. And so I think in order for us to get past our divisiveness and to be able to return to a state of empathy with other human beings, even the ones that our logic wants to say, even those ones, really? <laughs> like That's like a really bad person though. I myself have at some point, I don't know, if you want to use like someone who's addicted to a substance and can't support their family or whatever. Well, when have I ever behaved addicted? I mean, I've had actual addictions to drugs and alcohol. 
I've also been addicted to shopping as a means of not coping with some sort of emotion. I've also been addicted to, you know, maybe someone's addiction will be power or something else, but like, it doesn't even matter what our judgment is. If we're coming from this place of like high moral authority, there's always an instance we can come back to ourselves. Like we turn that back in on ourselves and go, when have I myself been done, reacted, felt, said that very thing, maybe in a different context, but it was the same energy. And we've all done it because we're all human. We've all had these experiences. We've all been in shame. We've all been in doubt. We've all lied. We've all hurt someone or we've all wanted to hurt someone. Like there's, we've all done these things. And so if we can remember that once I'm able to be very honest with myself and I take those breaths and I return to what is true for me, it is then impossible for me to continue projecting out onto someone else. Like those, those two things cannot coexist at the same time. If it's true that I myself am also that thing, I cannot hold you in contempt for that very same action anymore. And so if I'm able to still hold you in contempt, that must mean I haven't healed that part that is true for me. So it looks like I still have some work to do. And that's the part that I think takes bravery because no one wants to admit that we have more work to do, but we all have more work to do and that's okay. It's like back to how we started. It is what it is. (laughs) This is what's true. We can do the work, but I think that it takes that willingness to turn back inward, which is the most brave thing we can do to stop projecting out onto someone else, to remember that they're not other, that they're just like us and we are just like them that we have more in common with each other than we do have differences, even when it seems like we're in like polar opposite camps of everything. But I think of, you know, certain politicians or people that adhere to certain politics that I do not subscribe to. And I think, well, the things we probably have in common are that we have someone in our life that we love and that we want to protect. We have something in our life that we're really afraid of. And if there's nothing else, those two things are probably true, right? Like we at least have someone we love and we at least have something we fear. So right there, we've got a starting point. Like if if we could just come together and remember those things, there's a lot less to be afraid of when we remember how much we have in common with other people. Yes. That's what I was just going to say. Finding the commonalities as opposed to the differences is, is part of that inner work of being more empathetic of understanding that we are all connected, even when it may not seem like that, even when fear wants to push through or whether you call that fear, ego wants to push through and say, oh, but you know, that's a them over there, you know, and it becomes this us versus them mm-hmm. mindset as opposed to, you know, we. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how can we change this mindset from how I'm terming it as, you know, us versus them, you know, focusing on that as opposed to the commonalities. Are there some, you mentioned breath as a practical tool, but when it comes to that type of mindset, what, what do you use then? So when you say that kind of mindset, do you mean the us versus them mentality? Yeah. Kind of how we create separation. Right. In the mind. Yeah. I think it has to start with willingness right? Like if we don't have the desire or the willingness to turn toward that, it's not going to happen. And so for me, it really does become about a living practice of even choosing to 
start with something very innocuous, right? So something that doesn't have a lot of energy to it. So maybe not starting with, I'm going to go have a conversation with this staunch far right, you know, conservative, religiously fervent person. For me, that would be putting myself into a situation where if I hadn't been doing this work for a while, that conversation is not going to go very well. Like neither one of us is going to leave probably feeling heard and accepted and fully embodied. But if I can start with something like someone asking me, what do you want for dinner tonight? Instead of my rote response being, oh, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever you want. Or someone saying, let's do Italian. And I'm like, okay, sure. Let's do Italian without stopping to think about it. Well, that's a pretty innocent situation that I can choose to be like, you know what? I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to ask myself, what do I want to eat tonight? And it seems so silly. And I'm even kind of laughing about it, but it's not because if we can practice in those moments of great innocence, where there's no negative consequence that's going to happen, you know, it's just, you're going to have Italian or Indian or Thai or, you know, burgers, like why not let that be the place we practice? So we can practice taking those breaths and we can practice asking ourselves what we truly want. We can practice engaging with the person who just asked us this very innocent, seemingly simple question so that it becomes the living practice. It becomes the thing we start to do all the time so that when something a little more tough comes up, we're now in the practice of being willing to ask ourselves these questions. Why am I reacting this way to what you just said? Why do I feel afraid of walking into this neighborhood that is not my own? Huh, I just noticed that my throat got tight when someone mentioned, I don't know, for me, it might be something like the current um, wave of abortion bans going on in our country, right? That to me, I get like a visceral reaction. So if I have practice with asking myself why, then in that moment, I'm open to whatever answer might come. So I think that as a practical tool, just like any other tool, it's like, you got to keep those tools sharp, right? You can't just let them rust and get dull. You've you got to use them and you've got to sharpen them and you got to clean them and take care of them. So if we can practice with all the stuff that seems really easy and kind of silly, like, what do you want for dinner? Well, we're going to be that much more prepared when the situation comes up where it's not that simple, where we need to do a little bit more digging, where we need to let a lot more softening happen so that those seeds can really like sink to their depth. So that's what I would say would just be, be willing to be like the living embodiment of the practice and do it all the time, driving your kids to school or going to the grocery store. Like I'm going to be in my body. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to ask, what is this for? Why am I here? How can I choose to be in this differently? So that when the time comes and something really hard comes, because it will, I'll know what to do. And I'll remember what it feels like in my body when the correct response has arisen. Just practice, be willing to practice. But I think it has to start with that willingness. Willingness, I think that is very key. And to recognize the willingness to think differently and to connect with our bodies because it's so true you know as far as like coming back our bodies are our barometers gives us the message that 
of how to proceed, how we're feeling. And just because we're feeling something doesn't mean it's true. And so recognizing that we get to choose in that moment to listen to that fear and buy into it or to breathe into it and release it because that message, you know, is just a chemical reaction in our body and we get to release that energy Mm -hmm. and it's such a powerful practice. It is. And it's, you know, when I say like, this is a brave practice, I really mean it. We know that fear so well, right? We know the voice of our ego so well. It's been our best friend for as long as we can remember. We don't even have to think about it. We just automatically respond to that voice because we're so used to hearing it. And so when we can say, oh, wow, I recognize that voice. Thank you for sharing. I'm not going to choose that today. That is really brave. It's not easy, especially when we're just starting to learn to pay attention to that and to kind of stop and be like, I'm going to ask a different question here and let that sit in my body. Because I think it's really true what you said that I think you said something like the feelings aren't necessarily true. I think it's the thoughts about our feelings that aren't true. I think our feelings are so honest. And I think that like, so when I feel anger or fear, whatever that feels like in my body, like that's true for me in that moment, that's very honest. My interpretation of it is usually completely off base. (laughs) Like if I just let my thoughts run rampant, they're going to take me down all sorts of different spirals that aren't actually true. But the feeling in my body, that's true. And that's where my curiosity can go. It's like, wow, okay, I'm feeling butterflies. What is that all about? And the mind will say, I don't know, or it'll be like, well, it's because that person looks really scary. And then you can recognize the thought and be like, okay, but is it true that that person's scary? How would I know if that person's scary? I, I don't. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't know. Oh, so we can't know that that person is scary. So is there something else going on? Or maybe then the butterflies dissipate. So it's having the feelings, being okay with the feelings, but being willing to turn toward those feelings so that we can like disassociate from that voice that wants to say that person is scary or the situation is bad or, you know, whatever it might be. And to recognize though, too, that yes, our feelings are are very valid and true. And there's also the recognition that a lot of those feelings are stemmed from the past. So the past doesn't equal the future. So we might've had an experience, you know, 20 years ago, our body still remembers it as it's still true today. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, I think it's true. And then on the other side of that, it's doesn't mean that it's an accurate interpretation of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So just to clarify what I was, yeah, saying, but I absolutely, yeah, agree with that because I think that, you know, we get to choose new thoughts and around those feelings and we get to understand the interpretations that we're making about the experiences that are occurring. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what could you tell us a little bit about what it means to be radical and and how might this be misinterpreted? Yes. So the subtitle, the very long subtitle to my book is uh, nine radical practices to smash your ego, unleash your authentic self and foster connection in a divided world. And it was funny when I kind of was workshopping that subtitle, I knew I wanted the word radical in there somewhere. It's one of my favorite words, 
but I got a lot of pushback from people like, oh, you shouldn't use that word. That's a negative word that, you know, like radical people are crazy, you know, like all these different just thoughts and ideas behind the word radical. And so then I decided I definitely needed to include it. If there was that much pushback about it, I was like, okay, this is really fascinating. So radical, if you actually look up one of the many definitions of the word, but it's the one that I love the most. It, it just has to do with coming back to the root of something mm. and then pushing away from that root. So growing up from it. And so when I use the word radical for these practices, I don't mean it in a way that's like super like far-fetched or out there or like it's not even that they're really new, but they're radical in the sense that you know, we have a root of something like Stacy, you were mentioning past events or traumas and how those can get lodged in our body for sure. And it, it becomes its own energy. And then we don't know what the trigger is going to be. That's going to make us feel that thing again. So that could be like the root of something, but these practices of breath work and genuine curiosity and elevating the good and choosing to act from love instead of fear, all of these different types of things, that is a radical act in the sense that we're pushing up past that root system through the soil that has accumulated on top of us. And we're reaching for that like sunlight and rain and everything else we need to be nourished. That if we stay stuck at the root level, we're never going to grow. You know, if nothing pushes up past the soil, it's not living its full life. It's not even really existing. And so to be radical just means to grow forth from where we began, but to like forge a new, a new little limb, you know, and we start like flowering out in a very different direction. So that's why I love the word radical. Cause to me, it just embodies the entire spiritual journey. It's like, I started here. And I'm like going way out here, but I still have that root, right? Like I still have the thing that makes me me and that where I started from, we never, I don't think need to ever totally disattach from that. It's just that now we have all these other branches and little buds flowering and, you know, that's us growing up from that soil and pushing through it and, and turning that dirt into something really, really nourishing so that. The root stays protected, you know, it's like in its little womb and that's okay. But then there's other stuff that needs to happen from that. I love that imagery of the root <laughs> pushing through it. It reminds me of a, a personal mantra that I have when I, I know I'm experiencing personal growth or self-evolution when I'm uncomfortable. And I say, right. get comfortable with the uncomfortable because then, then I know that I am evolving out of the old self that mm -hmm. likes to stay safe and in the familiar and just forging through, pushing through, like you said, the, the mm -hmm. soil into the new emergent self. So I love that imagery. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yes. And I love that too, the getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, tell us. As we wrap up our listeners, where they can find you, maybe a little bit more about your book and anything else that you're currently working on. Yeah. Um, well, the best place to reach me is just at my website, uh, donkhammer.com. I've got a weekly blog there, which is gaining traction and there's a lot of fun interaction there. That's where you can 
click on a link to buy my book. And there's also an option to subscribe to an associated kind of like journal that comes with the book. If you do want to dive deeper into some of those practices, that's available for you as well. So donkhammer.com. If you can remember the name, you can remember the website. The next thing I have going, I'm actually hoping to turn the living practices in the book into like a coaching practice. I would love to start helping people one-on-one just with everything from breath work to it's what I call radical inquiry. It's actually a process my father developed doing exactly what we've talked about today. Just starting with the breath work, getting things really softened and then letting like wonder questions drop in. Like, what is this really about? Or, you know, whatever we might feel stuck with because there is a stuckness when we can't move forward. How can we get unstuck with these practices? So just hoping to really hold space for people that are interested in that kind of work and offer it to the world. I do believe, like I started off the segment saying that if if we can free ourselves, we can free the world. And so if each one of us can be committed to that personal freedom, we can't help but want it for everybody else. Because once we experience that kind of joy and innocence and wonder that comes with getting free from the things that keep us stuck. Like I want everyone to experience that, you know, and once everyone can experience it, you can't really go back. So I I think that that is the way forward is just personal freedom and then hopefully collective freedom as a result of that. That's beautiful. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing in the world, Don. And thank you for being here with us today. Thank and you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we could just keep chatting for hours. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel the same. <laughs> it's been a beautiful, just beautiful conscious conversation. And, and I know it'll plant seeds for people. And thank you for listening to Be The Love podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes, liking us on Facebook, or making a donation by visiting our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash Be The Love podcast. And stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays and Thursdays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining.